Uh, I want to thank you again for being with us today. And we're going to shift gears this morning into a topic that I, I will tell you right up front will be challenging for some of us. And I, um, I can't apologize for that. I think it's what Jesus did. He challenged us to grow. But with that in mind, I want to pray one more time together. Would you bow your heads and just pray with me? Father, I know that what you want for us today uh, is to hear your word and to be challenged, to be stretched, to be conformed into the image of your son. And Jesus, what you call us to is radical, it's incredible, and it's challenging. And I just pray today that you would open our ears to hear and our eyes to see the truth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been for three weeks dealing with the extravagant love of God in this uh, series that I've enjoyed. Uh, I've, uh, we've spent three Sundays in a row telling you about the extravagant, unbelievable, amazing love of God for you, the unquenchable love of God, the unstoppable love of God, how much God loves you no matter what. And we'll come back to that in this series some more because it's so important that we get this. But today it's time for us to shift gears a little bit and talk about what is a reasonable response to this love. When we understand the love God has for us, when we understand how deeply we are loved by him, what is a rational, reasonable uh, response from our hearts to him because of that love? I had a friend, lunch with a friend of mine uh, and my pastor, Joe Whitworth, this last week. And Joe and I were talking about a series he's been in at Life Center called Not a Fan. It's based on a book by Kyle Eidelman. And he told me about a kid in his church in our high school group who happens to have cerebral palsy, but he videotaped this testimony of this kid's walk with Jesus. I want you to watch it with me together right now. My name is Michael Anwar. When I was a fan, I just didn't know God. I knew of him, but I didn't know him. I went to Sunday school. I did all the activities. I just went because my mom went. A fan sits back. They don't really participate in the action. A follower, I should get into the action and communicate with the person they followed. It was summer camp that I first started following Christ and getting to know him. I'm a follower because I want to be with God. He's my number one buddy to talk to and be with and sit down and enjoy his presence. That's the most important thing to me is that God is in my life at all times. My brothers and my small group are stinking amazing. They've been there for me forever. They treat me like a regular person who doesn't have a disability. He shows you new stuff every day that you can't really see when you're a fan. 
and it, it will change your life drastically. A full-hearted power is someone who goes in a way, who doesn't leave anything behind, who stinging goes at it with all they have and won't back up. I'm in the game, I'm not giving up, not yet, and I will never give up. My name is Michael Anwar, and I am not a fan. The premise of the book, Not a Fan, is that Jesus hasn't called us just to be fans but to be active participants to get in the game, to give our all to him. And I've watched that video, I think that's the seventh or eighth time, and every time I watch it, I'm just completely impressed by this young man who says a wholehearted follower is someone who goes all the way. One who goes at it with all they have, and they won't hold back. They won't back off. That's a guy who understands the love of God for him. And that's a young man who loves God with all that he has. He knows the love of God, and he loves God back with a sacred obsession. And that's what I want to talk about today. And all of us have had probably an obsession at one time or another in our lives. We have things that consume us that we get excited about. We're crazy about golf, maybe. Or maybe we love running, and, and you're not here. You're out running Bloomsday right now, or finishing hopefully soon. Or maybe it's motorcycles. That would be me. I love motorcycles, and I get a little obsessive about them. I will admit that. Maybe you get crazy about fishing or chocolate or ice cream or something else. Maybe you get fixated on a person or on a career from time to time. Or maybe something as temporary and hollow as money. All of us at one point in our lives have had obsessions that we have to deal with. And obsessions are not all evil. I want you to understand, I'm not saying they're all wrong. But here's what I want you to get. If you don't hear anything else I say today, please hear this. If you're a Christ follower, if you've given your life to follow Jesus, if you're a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, then as Christ followers, the one obsession that ought to mark our lives above all others is a sacred obsession to love God with all our hearts, to love him with all that we are. You may be known for other things, and people may buy guys really into such and such or this or whatever, but the one that ought to mark your life, the, the obsession that ought to mark you above all others is a sacred obsession for God. And by the way, that's not something I came up with. Jesus said this a long time ago from the very beginning. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. You must love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And notice here, Jesus doesn't say, love him when it feels good. Love him when you want to. Love him on Sunday. Love him when it's convenient to love God. Love him a little bit. He says, no, you must love God with what? All. All that you are. All your heart, soul, mind and strength. That was the call of Jesus and it still is today. Simply put, God wants us all in. I don't know if you're a poker player, but you know what I mean by that. He wants us all in. And because he, he, he went all in for us, because he gave everything for us, it is a reasonable response on our, heart, on our hearts, on our part, to give our all to him. Because he went all in for you and me, it's not too much for us to go all in for him, to live with a sacred obsession. But what does that look like? Well, let me cover a few things for you this morning that I, I know will challenge you, but hopefully encourage you to live with this sacred obsession. Here's the first thing. What does it look like? Number one, when we're all in, when we live with a sacred obsession, we will have no other gods before the Lord. When you're all in, 
There'll be nothing else that'll be more important to you than your relationship with him. And honestly, this is tougher than most of us realize, especially in our culture. We may not have an image of Buddha or Krishna in our living room. I, I hope not. That may not be a problem for us. But it's way too easy for us to be overly captivated by a thing, a passion, a person. And when we're overly captivated by something that takes the place, first place in our lives, that's when we have created a God. Small g, but a God in our world nonetheless. We might not sing praises to that God. We, I hope you don't sit around singing to your motorcycle. You, you might not act, you sacrifice animals to that God, which again, I hope you don't do that. But when you give that thing, that person, that activity, whatever that is, first place in your life, then it has become a God to you. And God knows us. He knows all about us. He knows the way we're created. He knows our human nature. And that's why the very first command of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, found in Exodus 20, deals with this. Let me read it to you. Exodus 20, verse 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You must not. You must have no other gods besides me. God is speaking to the Israelites. He says, I set you free from 400 years of captivity in Egypt. I'm the one. I am the Lord your God. And therefore, I, I am not just suggesting, I'm, I'm demanding that you have no other gods besides me. God told the Israelites, because of who I am and because of what I've done, because of who I am and because of what I've done for you, I deserve, and in fact, don't miss this, he's saying, I demand to be first and foremost in your life. I have a friend of mine who for uh, many, many years, his number one goal was to become a millionaire by the time he was 40. And he was a professed Christian, and, and uh, he said he loved God. But without question, the, the God in his life was money. And he had set a goal that he was going to be a millionaire and retire by the time he was 40. Now, you think, well, what's nothing wrong with that? Well, let me explain. He had not one but two jobs. So he worked a lot. On top of that, he got up every day at the, the dawn of crack, and, yes, I said dawn of crack, got up every morning and would do day trading on uh, stocks to try to make money. And then almost every evening, he would spend online uh, trying to sell cameras on eBay. This guy was consumed, captivated by money. That was his goal. That was his God in his life. And you think, well, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with working hard. You're right, there isn't. But when your family, your friends, your health, and your relationship with God are taking a beating because of an obsession with money or anything else, then it has become a false God to you. It's become something God says, don't go there. Now, let me also interject this very quickly for you. God is not demanding to be first place in our lives because he's insecure. People go, why does God have to be number one? What's the big deal? Is he some sort of holy narcissist? I mean, what, why does it always have to be about him? That is not the case at all. The reason God asked to be number one in your life is very clear, very simple. It's A, because he deserves it, and B, because that's when we experience the life he meant us to live. That's when we are the best us we can be, when we live with him first and foremost in our life. God calls us to love him and to put him first because he knows that's what's best for us. That's the way we're going to experience the life he's destined us for. Here's another little phrase I want you to remember. We become what we behold. We become what we behold. That thing that we fixate on, that person that we fixate on, we become what we behold, meaning we are shaped into the image of the things that we love and desire the most. That is just our human nature. And that, again, is why God says, I want you to put me first. Because if we're to be like him, if we're to live like him, if we're to love like him, if we're to look like God, 
then we've got to fix our hearts on him and love him above all else. We become what we behold, and God wants us to become like him. And so God doesn't just suggest that we occasionally put him first in our lives. He requires, he demands, he says, I am calling you to this radical way of life where you will have no other God besides me, where I'm number one, I'm first. Here's the second thing, number two, when we're all in, we will hold nothing back. When we live with a sacred obsession, we will hold absolutely nothing back from him. To have a sacred obsession is to have our hearts so consumed by God, by his love for us and our love for him, that there's nothing we will want to hold back from him. C.S. Lewis, who in my opinion is one of the greatest Christian minds in the 20th century, and he uh, wrote tons of books, Chronicles of Narnia, which is, he's most famous for, but he wrote a lot of really good uh, books on theology and relationship with God, great things. And he once said this, and I love this quote. He said, we are too often, speaking of us, too often half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling around with things that don't matter, that really, in the grand scheme of things, in eternal perspective, don't matter. When the sad part is infinite joy, relationship with God and infinite joy is what's offered to us. Too often, we, we look and pursue a way of, of life. We hold on to a way of life that is actually robbing us from the life God wants us to have and from a life that truly matters, from the life of loving him and walking in his kingdom. The kingdom of God is talked about a lot in the Gospels. We're, we're, we're told to go and preach the kingdom of God. We're told to invite people to come and walk in the kingdom of God. And it's an interesting phrase, and I want to read to you a, a couple of mini parables from Ma Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus taught on the priority the kingdom of God must have in our life. Now, let me just say this, and I'll explain it again. I want to make sure you get it. The kingdom of God... Is, is, is where he rules and reigns in our lives, in our hearts, in our world. It's the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven, synonymous with the kingdom of God, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold, here it is, all that he had, and bought that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away, and look at it, he sold all, everything he had, and bought it. Jesus is saying here that when you understand the value of the kingdom, there's no price too, too great for you to pay. You'll hold nothing back to get it. Again, the kingdom of heaven of here refers to not heaven, someplace up where God is, not of the sweet by and by, but it refers to the rule and reign of God in and through our lives. When you hear the phrase kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, you need to think it's talking about the rule. A kingdom, a king rules over a kingdom. It is the rule and reign of God in and through our lives. It is a way of life where we demonstrate that God, his ways and his word are first and foremost to us. And therefore, whatever sacrifice we need to make, whatever it takes, we'll live there. We'll go there with him. When the man discovered the treasure in the field, he sold everything he had. Jesus is making a very clear point here. When the guy discovered the pearl of great price, that single greatest pearl, the pearl of his dreams, he went and sold everything he had to gain it. They held nothing back to get the treasure of the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, not me, guys. Jesus is saying, that's the attitude we need to have. That's our perspective on the kingdom. That's what we need to desire above all else. I need to tell you, if you're investigating Christianity and you're here today, I'm really glad that you're here. 
And I, I, I honor your journey, your search, your seeking for truth and answers. And I promise you, this is a safe place to discover grace. And I really am. I'm glad you're here. You're welcome to be here. And, and, I, and no one's ever going to force you to do anything. That's not going to happen here either. But I cannot hold back the truth from you. I cannot water this down because Jesus himself wouldn't do so. Jesus didn't. You see, if you're investigating Christianity, let me be clear about something right now. And it's something you've got to understand. When you choose to come to God, you come to him on his terms, not yours. When we choose to give our lives to him, to follow him, to become a Christ follower, we have to come to God on his terms, not ours. This is not a negotiation. We don't say, God, well, I'll give you X, Y, and Z as long as you give me ABC. It's not the way it works. When we make a decision to be a Christ follower, Jesus doesn't want us to go in part way. He doesn't want us just to add God to our lives. Yep, got God in my pocket. I'm good to go. Yep, got my ticket to heaven. I'm good. That's not the call of the kingdom. He calls for all of us. He calls us to be all in, to hold nothing back from him. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 39. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up, look at the words. If you give up your life for me, that's when you'll find it. Jesus said this more than once, and he said, here's the deal. If you hold on, cling to what you think is life, you think to what really matters, if you hold on to that and you refuse to surrender that to me, then in the end you're going to lose any, everything. But when you let it go, when you give up all that you have, when you surrender your life to me, that is when you'll discover the life, the eternal life that really matters, the life that I have, that God has for us. Luke 14, 33 Jesus said, those of you who do not give up everything, there it is again, who do not give up everything they have cannot be my disciple. And I know, trust me, I know how challenging this is. I know how difficult this is for us in our culture to embrace and understand. It sounds extreme and radical. And there's a reason why it sounds extreme and radical. It is. It is radical. But to be all in is to be all in. To be all in is to be all in. The idea of holding back is not found anywhere in the scriptures. Old or New Testament, you will not find it. God doesn't want part-time followers. He's no part-time Lord. He's not looking for part-time followers. He's not passive towards you. He doesn't want you to be passive toward him. He doesn't want just lip service. He wants life service where we commit our entire life to him and his kingdom. Let me put it in a human perspective that will, you'll understand. Well, that seems a little extreme for God to demand that. Well, how many of you wives, don't raise your hand, how many of you wives would be satisfied with a part-time husband? Now, some of you are thinking, mommy, no, no. <laughs> no wife really wants a part-time husband. No husband wants a part-time wife. No child wants a part-time parent. That may be what they have, but that's not what they want. And God does not want part-time believers. That's not the call of the kingdom. I was having a conversation with a young man, 18, 19 years old, some time ago. And I was very impressed with this kid because he was asking some really good questions. Now, he was not yet a Christ follower. And I love having conversations with people like that. And he asked some pretty challenging questions. He wanted to know, I explained this, I, I don't get that. And I did my best to answer his questions. And then he looked at me, and I will never forget the look on his face because he was dead serious. He said, all right, I've got one more question for you. I said, yeah, what is it? He said, what's it going to cost me to follow Jesus? I was blown away. Because you know what I hear most of the time from people? What's in it for me? Guys, that's our culture. What's in it for me? What am I going to get? 
What, what's God going to do for me if I give him my life? And I did not hear this from this young man. It totally blew me away. Totally impressed with this young guy. He said, what's it going to cost me? What's it going to take? What does God expect from me? And I looked him in the eye and I said the same thing I'm saying to you now. Everything. Everything. But here's the good news. That's a reasonable response to a God who's given his everything for you. It's a reasonable response when you understand what God has done for you and me. It's not too much to give him our all when we understand that he gave his all for us. Hold nothing back. That's the call of the kingdom. From time to time, when I teach on giving money, and I don't do it a lot around here, and occasionally when that comes up, where I do almost every time, I could probably say every time, I will get an email or two or a card in the mail that pretty much blasts me. And uh, I, I'm usually a little perplexed by that because, guys, there's never been a time when I've used manipulation or guilt to try to make you do anything. Never. Ever. And I won't. But at the same time, there's this challenge of the kingdom to be all in, to seek first. Jesus said in Matthew 6, another place, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To put him first place in our lives. And I want to suggest to you that when that is measured in our lives, it will be demonstrated in a lot of things. What we give our time to, what we give our energy to, and yes, my friends, what we give our money to. The idea, the teaching of Scripture, of Jesus, is that we hold nothing back, that we're all in for him and his kingdom. It all belongs to you, God. It's yours. Now you tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. Hold nothing back. Here's the third thing, number one. When we're all in, being in God's presence will be the one activity that matters most to us above all others. Now I'll explain what I mean by being in his presence. You might well, what does that mean? But when you get this, when you understand that to have no other God before him and to hold nothing back from him, when you understand that, then there, there will be this change in your values, change in your belief, change in what's a priority to you. And being in God's presence will be the one activity that matters most to you above all others. When you understand how much he loves you and you understand what he's done for you, that you will long to be in his presence. In the word. What do I mean by in his presence? In the word. In worship. Spending time, investing time with him in prayer. In time with the community of faith, gathering together with the body of Christ to worship God and to love God and to grow in your understanding of his word. When you understand these things, when you know what, is, what it means to put God first and to hold nothing back, then it will become a natural part of you, a supernatural part of you, to long for his presence above all others. My wife, who sits in the first service next to me, and, and I, I pointed her out in the first service, she said, don't do that anymore. But, so she's not here, I can talk about her. But I love to be with my wife. I long to be with her. We've been married 37 years. And I still look forward to walks with her, hanging out with her. One of my favorite activities, this is going to sound a little weird, but it really is, is to sit with her at Starbucks with a good book in my hand, a cup of coffee in my other hand, and her sitting right next to me. I just love that. I love just being in her presence, talking with her. Last week, we were in Portland, and the six-hour drive there and back, usually I listen to CDs. I listen to one, and most of the time we talked and we, we conversed and we shared. I love that. I long to be with her. Now, you might be thinking, well, I wish I had that in my life. You have that opportunity with one, and his name is Jesus. 
You can have that. And that's what he wants for you. That's his desire. Because listen to me, and I know this is amazing, he longs to be with you. He longs to be with you. And when we get how much he loves us, we'll long to be with him. Again, I love what Michael said in that video. And I quote him. He says, I want to be with God. He's my number one buddy to talk to and be with and sit down with and enjoy his presence. And he said, that's the most important thing to me, that God is in my life at all times. Now, I don't know if you missed this. I hope you didn't. But here's a kid with cerebral palsy and all sorts of challenges, lots of things he has to deal with that we take for granted. And he didn't say my number one desire in life is to not have a disability. He didn't say my number one desire in life is to be able to do all the things my buddies do. What he said, when don't miss it, my number one thing, the most important thing to me is that God is in my life at all times. That's a devotion. That's a love. That's a longing for God's presence that he wants us to have. Have you noticed that life's filled with lots of distractions, lots of things? But a life of devotion will be a life of passion for his presence. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have other passions. I am not suggesting that we just sit around and navel-gaze all day. I'm not suggesting that we become so, you know, heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. Not at all, none of that. What I'm saying is that in the midst of our lives, our busy lives, our busy days, our busy world, that we make time, and notice I said make time, not find time, that we make time to turn our thoughts and our hearts and our ears to God, to be with him. Because we want to, because we long to be in his presence. Too many, and I've been here, so I'm throwing myself in that category, too many suffer from what has been called the Martha syndrome. And it's when we get easily distracted by the many things and we forget the one thing that truly matters most. Luke recorded this in Luke chapter 10. Let me read it to you. As Jesus and his disciples continue on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed her into her home. Martha, Jesus, come, hang out with us. Verse 39, her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. So you see her there just sitting on the floor at the Lord's feet, just listening to his teaching. But Martha, here it is, Martha was what? Distracted by the big dinner she was preparing and she came to Jesus and said, you can hear the frustration in her voice, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to get off her butt and come and help me. I added the off the butt part. That's the boobna paraphrase version. Tell her to come and help me, Jesus. And I imagine, I, don't, I cannot imagine Jesus being upset, mad, angry. I don't think he was mean at all. He looked at her with tenderness and with this longing for her to get this. And he said, Martha, my dear Martha, 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 you are worried and upset over all these details, over many things. Verse 42, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. Martha, you're all worried, stressed out. And man, if that doesn't describe me and us from time to time, I don't know what does. Running around, and let me point out here quickly, Martha was not sinning. It's not like she was sleeping around or doing something stupid. She was trying to serve Jesus. She was trying to do something good, fix a nice meal. You know, back then, you know what that meant? Go grab the chicken, cut off the head, pluck the bird, and then deep fry it. It was not just go to the, local, the freezer or the local store. A lot of work, and, she's, and she was so bothered and worried and consumed by that. And she came in frustration, seeing her sister right there. And, and she said, Lord, tell her to stop it. And Jesus said, Martha, you don't get it. You're distracted. 
And Mary has chosen what matters most, and I'm, I can't take that away from her. I live with this common reality that uh, I call it common because it's true for most, if not all of us, that I have way too many things to do on my to-do list and not enough time to do them. Would that be anybody else? I mean, I, I don't know if you're a list person, but I, I've got a to-do list that'll choke a horse. And I, you know, I, I just got... Oh, and I'm a task-driven guy, so I've got all these things I want to do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, all this stuff I've got to do. But I want to give you a little secret that I discovered a long time ago. Reading a book by Bill Hybels called Too Busy to Pray, Rock My World. And here's a little secret I want to pass on your way. When my first to-do is to be with him, then everything else falls into place. I I speak to you as a task-driven, busy guy. When my first to-do is simply to be with him, to carve out time every day, maybe first thing in the morning, sometimes it's 10, 10, 30 in the morning, sometimes it's the last thing at night, but every day to carve out time to be with him, then everything else tends to fall into place. All else is well. The challenge of Jesus, the challenge of the scriptures, is that we would have no other God before the Lord that we would hold absolutely nothing back from him, that we're all in, that, that we're going to give it all up to you, Jesus. We're going we're to surrender and say yes to you. And it is to live with a sacred obsession that marks our lives, that marks who we are as Christ followers. It is to love God and to pursue him with all our hearts. And it is why it's our highest value here at East Point. We come back to this on a fairly regular basis, and I will continue to do so. It has to be. Something we're constantly reminded of, love God, love God, love him with all that we are. It's our number one value here. But let me remind you of something this morning that I I want you to hear, lest you leave here frustrated or discouraged. Because I know we hear messages like this and we go, oh man, I'm a worm, I'm horrible, that's not me, that doesn't describe what I don't, I'm just, or we get frustrated, I can't, I try that, but it doesn't work for me. Let me remind you something that is so important for you to hear, and I want to bring this full circle and wrap this up today. John wrote this in 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. John said, 1 John 4, 19, we love God because he first loved us. Why have we spent the first three weeks in this series series talking about the incredible, unbelievable, unstoppable love of God for us? Is because when you get that, when you understand that, when you are bathed and washed and, and filled with the love of God for you, then you understand that it's a response to him that we're talking about. We love God. We have the capacity to love him. Not in our own strength. I am not saying to you, suck it up, buttercup, go work harder. I'm not saying, just get your act together. Get your poop in a group and figure it out. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is, understand how great you are, great the love of God is for you. Because it doesn't come out of a vacuum. It comes when you understand the love he has. We love him because he first loved us. The challenge to love God doesn't come without the power of God. You see, here's what's amazing to me about Jesus and, and the way it works. And if you don't get this, you're going to live frustrated and leave here pretty frustrated and upset. What God calls us to do he empowers us to do. Some of you have been sitting here thinking, I don't know if I, that's way too radical, way too much for me. Can't go there, can't do it. Here's the thing. And it's what just I love about the way it works in the kingdom. Our part is to say yes. 
This is our part. We respond. We choose. His part is to empower. We say yes, and he comes right alongside. It is his Holy Spirit that lives in us that empowers us to live like him. It is God in us that gives us the ability to be like God. It is God's love for us that gives us the power to love God in return. What he calls us to do, the incredible, radical, unbelievable challenge to follow him and to give it all up and to put him first and to long for his presence is not come in a vacuum. It's not dependent on you and you alone. God says, you choose me. You sacrifice. You make that decision, and I'm going to meet you right here. I'm going to give you everything you need. Jesus said, come follow me. But he didn't leave it there. He said, and I will make you fishers of men. I love that because what it demonstrates is this relationship, this connection we have. We come. We choose. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to get up. I'm going to make the choice. And then he says, I will make you. I'm going to make you into the person I want you to be. When we live with a sacred obsession for him, it will be because we understand his sacred obsession for us. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Lord, I know the risk in teaching something this radical. That some will hear through a filter of condemnation and guilt and they'll listen to that voice of the enemy that will just dump on them right now. Holy Spirit, please stop that voice. Don't let them hear the voice of darkness right now. And I know, God, that some of us, um, we need to be challenged. We need to be encouraged. But, Lord, we all need more of you to do this. We need more of you in our lives. And it is your grace, God, that, that not only brings us to relationship with you, but it's your grace that empowers us to live for you. And I pray that we would just be wrapped up in that today. That not one person sitting here today will leave here feeling beat up or condemned or, or slapped around, God, but that they would leave here challenged to choose and then aware that when they do, you empower. You enable us to do what you call us to do. Lord, I pray for those sitting here or maybe watching online that have not yet chosen to become Christ followers. And I, I know right now they, they, they're at that crossroad, that point of decision, what am I going to do with this call to give my all to him? I'm going to ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe that's you. And, and I, if there's anything that's happened today, I hope you've got it clear in your head that it is a radical call for us to live our all, to give our all to him, to surrender to him, to say yes to him. That's where it begins. And that's where it continues as we take up our cross daily, Jesus said, and follow him. But if you're here today and you, you, you get it, you realize the challenge, you also, I hope, get that you can't do it on your own and you need God. And if you're ready to say, God, I need you in my life, I need your grace, and I'm choosing you now, I want your spirit to help me follow you, if that's you and you're ready, make this prayer yours right now. Father, I confess my need for Savior. I need your grace. I need your life. I need your forgiveness. I've sinned. I've tried it my way. I've gone my way, Lord. And right now, I surrender my all to you. I give up. And I embrace the cross. I embrace the grace that you've given so freely, the salvation you've offered. And I know, God, I can't do this life on my own. And yet, somehow, I believe right now you'll be with me. You'll help me. And so I invite you into my soul, my spirit, my life. And I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. Now, if that's you and you're here, 
right now just in your heart say yep God that's me I, and I need you God I, I want that and I'm going to need your help and yet God today I'm choosing to give my life to you if that's you just in your own way say yes God yes that's my prayer that's my desire and the Bible says the moment you do you begin your life as his child and then he'll empower you to walk in ways that only you can with him and only possible by him but your choice today is what's introduced you into this new realm the kingdom of God Lord for those making that call right now show them what you're going to do show them what it means and give them the hope that they've never had before that you now live within them to give them the life they've always wanted I pray it in Jesus name Amen let's stand together we're going to finish our service this morning with the last song of one of my favorites Grace Like Rain and I want you to be bathed in that grace and be reminded of this it is the grace of God that initiates our relationship with Him and it's the grace of God that empowers us to walk with Him we're going to give now would be time to put those uh, tear off tabs in the bulletin if you're visiting don't feel obligated to give today but if this is your church home your church family you're an owner here at East Point give to support what God's doing let's give as we worship and I'll come back and we'll wrap it up grace captures us it captivates us but grace challenges us and convicts us as well grace gives us the power to live the way God wants us to. If today you began your life as a Christ follower and you've experienced that grace for the first time, let somebody know. Tell somebody around you who came with the guy that brought you. Or come tell me. Uh, we want to celebrate with you. We want to walk with you in this journey. Back on the table to the right as you walk out. It says for new Christians there's a packet of information. Pick one of those up and take them with you. And we want to help you in this new experience of God's grace in your life. But my prayer for all of us today is that we would leave your challenge by the goodness and the grace of God. A.W. Tozer once said, it will require a determined heart and more than a little courage to wrench ourselves loose from the grip of our times. A determined heart and more than a little courage. And my prayer for you today is that you'll go boldly to live in the grace of God in the full dimension, the, the fullness of that grace, which both receives from him and gives to him our all. If you need prayer, prayer to me be down front. There's communion on both sides of the room as well. But again, go this week and walk in his grace. Walk wholeheartedly after him. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.